Welcome to the False Neutral for July of 2021. I am Eric, not the usual intro person, but we'll get to that in a second. Joining uh, us, joining this month again, as always, are Pete and Garrett. Gentlemen, how are you? Hey, good, doing pretty well. Cool. And then our guest this month, because we have a guest again this month, is Trevor Daly, uh, someone I've known uh, from up in Canada for probably a decade now, and um trevor's uh we've talked about him in, on, on a previous podcast when i had mentioned you should go check out his instagram because he's always building a lot of cool stuff in his shop and we're definitely gonna be talking about that and then uh a few other things that he's doing as well so trevor thanks uh thanks for joining us on the show yeah, yeah thanks, happy trevor. to be here um so before we talk about your shop trevor the thing one of the things we usually do is talk about what's going on in our our, our uh, workshops and um Mine hasn't changed. I still walk into my garage every every day or every few days and look at my project with loathing and, you know, <laughs> and go, yeah, it's still there. So, uh, I haven't done anything. No? Uh, I Well, you've been busy traveling. Yes. Yeah. Uh, did the smack dab run and uh, it went really well this year. It was... Uh, about 123 people actually completed the ride. And uh, that was about a hundred bikes and about, well, we had 16 passengers, a little over a hundred, hundred bikes made the ride and uh, uh, had a great time caught up with some people in Smith center that in Lebanon, Kansas that I only see once a year. So uh, that was good. They had a barbecue the night before, uh, the day riding out from Kansas city to uh, Smith center, it was triple digits. I think a hundred and nine or 110 was the official temperature. I saw 119 on my dash thermometer on the way out. Yeah. Fortunately, the day of the ride, it was about 66 at dawn. We never had temperatures over 85 degrees. It was about 72 when we got into rugby in the evening uh, we did not stop and actually order a meal anywhere. We just pretty much gassed up and it, the night before we bought some Subway sandwiches and kept them in the refrigerator and then put them in a cooler when we left. So about, uh, 1 PM, we wolfed down a couple of Subway sandwiches and chips and kept going. So we actually got in about six 30, I think. So that was about the earliest we've made the trip. Uh, so, and yeah. we, for those that, for those that don't know, uh, smack dab is from the central point in the United States to the central point in North America, right? Yes. The center of the 48 States in Lebanon, Kansas, which is, uh, just South of the Nebraska border, pretty much East West, right in the middle of Kansas. And you take highway 281 North for 675 miles and you actually turn left for like the last 34 miles and in rugby north dakota 42 miles from the canadian border 
there is a monument that marks the center of the North American continent. And this is the seventh year that we've had a one day run between the two of them. And uh, then my wife and I took two days to get back home. I did it on my Can-Am Spider. She did it on her new 2021 Can-Am Spider that she really loves. And she's really got me interested in maybe upgrading, but I have no money. (laughs) And uh, right now I'm spending all of my time uh, stuffing envelopes, sending out finishers, patches, patches to people that I'll be doing that on and off for the next month. So no, I haven't been in the garage at all since our last call. Cool. All right. I don't feel so bad. Since we've been in, uh, on the last call, I have been in my shop pretty much nonstop, making actually some really dramatic improvements. And I haven't um, shared any of the pictures yet. And, and I'm going to wait until I'm a little bit further along. But um, And I've shared with this on some of our past episodes. But I have this uh, shop, and it's 24 by 30 feet. So it's not very big, although it does have like 12-foot ceilings in it. And I had these... Um, you know, like you, like any shop, you store stuff in it. And all this stuff was on the ground on those storage racks that just sit on the ground and take up floor space only to store things. So you, you eliminate that functional space. And so I wanted to get everything that could be off the ground, off the ground. And I have um, built some large steel uh, shelving um, brackets that hang from the top plate of the the. Um, the shop and have basically put everything up on the walls that can be uh, everything that gets stored or not used very frequently. So um, I've done some pretty uh, extensive changes in the shop and um, I've got a Bridgeport mill and a lathe that are going to now move to um, they were kind of like taking up this weird corner of the shop and I'm going to move them both against my wall. I'll have a whole new like bay to work in um, and I'll have a lot more floor space. So, you know, we've been talking on past episodes about your shop and Mm -hmm. you recently moved, but you still have the same shop. This is obviously not part of your house. You have a separate building. Yeah. Yeah. That's on a separate property. Um, and it's really just where I keep my motorcycles. It's where I, at my house, I live in just like a suburban house and I have no motorcycles here. Uh, and in fact, I don't even think any of my neighbors know that I'm into motorcycles or would have any idea whatsoever. Um, everything is, uh, at the shop. And so I've got like my machine shop set up and some, um, like a storage area where I can, uh, store, uh, separate from the shop, storing my motorcycles and all that. So, so is this um, commercial property or is this just? No, a- no, no. It's residential. Although okay. um, the shop, the shop was built actually um, in the fifties, and it's, it's it's built out of cinder block, and also uh, it's got really tall. So, like I said, it's twelve foot ceilings, and it's got these two huge roll up doors. It almost looks like an old, um, kind of like a really old firehouse in a way. Um, and so it's given been, that it's been a hundred degrees there, that cinder block must be wonderful inside. Oh, it's like an absolute oven on the inside. <laughs> like I can't work, uh, in, in the afternoon. Lately. I, I, like I'm, we had a hundred. I'm assuming you degrees. don't have air conditioning. No, no. I have heat for the winter, but I've never really needed air conditioning, but, uh, I thought, cause I'm renovating the whole place. So effectively the shop has not been changed since it was built. 
It's the original um, cinder block. It's never been painted. The doors are original. So I bought uh, brand new doors, insulated doors. Um, I'm painting the whole inside, redoing all the lighting, all the electrical, um, you know, putting these nice heavy duty shelves around the whole thing. And then on the outside, I'm also going to kind of renovate it. So it looks more um, up to date. So, um, but yeah, lots of changes. I've been working on it basically every day off I have, I've been, you know, trying to get things done in it. And, And it's actually pretty close. I'm almost done with all of the construction parts and now I can start sort of finishing and, and organizing the shelves and getting everything where it's going to be for the long term. I can't tell you how many uh, two-stroke engines I carried up my ladder yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, they're light, you know, and like a lot of them don't even have crankshafts in them. So I have to like, you know, hold this engine, climb up a ladder so I can like put it up on a shelf. And I was there with a friend and I was like, how, who has engines that they just have to store up on a shelf? It's like, I have a problem. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I, I have to tell you, there's a Benelli 2C frame on eBay right now, really cheap, like $140 yeah. shipped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it looks surprisingly similar to like an RD 400 frame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I happen to have through all of the parts that I bought that don't fit other things. I have a complete front end and a rear wheel and a swing arm. And I was like, do I want a fourth project? Cause I bet I could get Garrett to build me a really nice two stroke twin that would fit in there. No problem. Yeah. And I'm really resisting it's like, la, 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 don't listen. I must not think bad thoughts. Because I, uh, Trevor, I, I have, my workshop is in a drive-in basement and is uh, about 10 by 12. And I currently have three projects in there now and no room for anything. And the longest project that's the closest to being finished has been a spare project spare time, spare money project for about 10 years. And I really need to finish it. So I don't need to get involved in anything else, but you can browse eBay for free at night <laughs> when you can't sleep, which is a problem. And and it's like, Oh, oh I'm having trouble sleeping. I'll just look at eBay for a little while. And then you're like, Oh, Hey, this is and the, the cheap and easy parts of the project. I keep, I keep jumping back into instead of the, expensive hard to do projects so mm-hmm. it sounds like you must be pretty good at uh line dancing shuffling sideways and shuffling forward around all the projects in that space because yeah in fact like, i have two like- of them right now the handlebars are just close enough that i turn sideways and i kind of do a crab skittle between the the handlebars to get to my workbench and so but i might at some point talk to garrett about just say well just I was, I'm going to spend uh, the money, build me a motor. Yesterday I was moving stuff and I was moving my engines and I have this RD 350 engine. And um, I was also moving all the parts that I've kind of stashed away and forgot about. And I have these, um, they're replica, but DG, gold DG heads, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are new. They're in the box. They've never been mounted. Um, and then this RD 400. And then I have that. You've seen my... Um, that chassis that I have, which is right. supposed to uh, fit an RD 400 engine. So I like, I have all these, I could make that work without a lot of effort. I mean, I have the gas tank, I have all the body work, I have an engine, 
I have exhaust pipes. I have rear sets. <laughs> you don't have time. That's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, you guys would use eBay for different things. Pete's on there looking for parts. You're on there putting those parts up. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't sell anything, actually. No, he doesn't. He, he doesn't. If he's on here next month and is like, hey, I found on eBay these gold replica heads, you're just going to stay quiet on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I never buy anything that's new in the box. Everything I buy is just, you know, used up, worn out trash. It's so much cheaper and I never finish anything so it doesn't really make any difference whether it's ever going to run or not so <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. um eric you want to you want to yeah so trevor trevor yes um so kind of hinted at at uh, a little bit i've known you from from racing up in canada for at least 10 years um and even when i first met you you were everyone always talked about what a what an awesome fabricator and builder you were so um and it's literally in the last couple of years of watching you on um on instagram that i've really come to appreciate just how how cool some of the stuff is so why don't you um just run uh, run us down your your history from because i think even before motorcycle racing you were kart racing and stuff too right yeah for sure yeah actually um you know i hope we don't break any anybody's hearts here but i probably wasn't a, a bike guy from the get-go kind of thing i was a car guy like you mentioned i grew up i started racing carts when i was nine years old and kind of progressed through regional stuff here in uh in ontario and canada and got really fortunate to be able to compete in some of the high high level stuff in the u.s and um actually won the north Mer- north american championships one year which um you know kind of got my foot in the door for a program that bmw did um that it was kind of a spec formula car. It's called Formula BMW. And they had an Asian series, um, a UK series, a German series, you know, they had different series all across the world. And it just worked out that the year I won the North American championships in the stars of karting series in California, they were starting to get ready to the next year launch the North American series. So um, again, I kind of got my foot in the door there was, uh, was chosen. There's 26 of us from North America between Canada and uh, and the States, and I believe one driver from Mexico as well that went to Valencia, Spain. And um, we actually uh, did a two-day school to get our FIA International C license, car racing license. And we were taught by Jörg Mueller, who was kind of BMW's uh, touring car um, and one of their yep. top endurance guys, which was yep. pretty cool to, you know, be in this full carbon, um, you know, little... Uh, formula car and see a guy in a diesel BMW going around in front of you at Valencia, just, just leaving black marks everywhere. And, uh, and the little 140 horse motor that we had in it, you know, we couldn't leave black marks if we wanted to, but, uh, it actually was, um, uh, was a BMW, uh, bike motor in it. It was 1100 CC inline four cylinder. It's, uh, I believe it like a K series motor. And, uh, anyways, I, I was really fortunate. I actually, the third day of that, the first day was the, uh, schooling part of it. The third day was a shootout. And, uh, you know, there are names like, uh, uh, Graham Rahal was there. Um, James Hinchcliffe was there. Uh, there, I'm forgetting a a lot of big name guys here. Um, who Jeff Siegel was there. Um, you know, these are guys who went on to IndyCar. Um, Mm -hmm. Jeff Siegel won the Rolex, uh, GT championship. Um, you know, a lot of these guys pro- have progressed on and are still, um, you know, top level North American road or, you know, racing guys in cars. So, um, you know, I was, I was in awesome company and, uh, and was fortunate enough to win the scholarship and which enabled me, got some funding and, and, uh, the funding. And then there's a huge schooling aspect too. Um, 
race car engineering um, on the backside of that that got me able to compete. Um, you know, it was a feeder series. So I think it was seven champ car races and uh, two, both Formula One races in North America that year. You know, we'd race Sunday morning. Obviously, Formula One race in the afternoon is the big show and stuff. So, again, I kind of came up that way, um, you know, did that year at cars. And then, you know, the next step up at the time was called Formula Atlantic, which uh, yep. BMW was a beginner series. And um, that was about a quarter million dollars. Atlantic was about a half million. A base IndyCar seat was was one at the time. I'm sure it's gone up since then. But anyway, so it was, uh, you know hard progression to kind of move to the next step. And it's not like you could have the scholarship two years in a row or any stuff like that. So I was really fortunate that at a young age through all the carding I did, I worked on my own stuff. Um, you know, spent a lot of time in the garage working on carts, you know, and, and I've been fortunate to transition to what I do now um, stuff that I really enjoyed when I was a kid. And anyway, so fast forward to uh, not being able to kind of move up and some of the other teams had seen that I had uh, or knew that I had kind of a mechanical background. And like I said, there was some um, race specific kind of engineering schooling that came with that scholarship too. And I was really fortunate. I think I was about uh, 18 at the time to be picked up by a Canadian team. Um, who's known North American wide in, in endurance racing and stuff like that is a Motorsport. And uh, I worked one year on their program in their uh, in the IMSA series in their uh, um, Star Mazda, which was a same thing, carbon open wheel car. And then I was really fortunate the next year they had a Daytona prototype uh, program in the Rolex series and was able to kind of move up into that program. I did that for a bunch of years. And like I said, in my early late teens, early 20s to work with, um, you know, an incredible, uh, knowledgeable and friendly and experienced group of engineers um and fabricators again prototype car you know there is rules we had to stick within but a lot of the stuff we would build in house um you know even a lot of the carbon stuff like it was a tube chassis but it was a full carbon kevlar body and, and all the dash panels wing louvers little stuff like that we we did in house too so um i was really fortunate to kind of get thrown into the deep end you could say on a program of that level and uh and, and again, you know, ask the right questions and every, everyone there was so awesome with, uh, you know, kind of teaching me. And, um, uh, you know, we had great success that year. Uh, my first year in the program, you know, Penske, Ganassi, these are teams we're racing against. And I believe out of the 14 races, we won three. And uh, again, we were a real small team, six guys in the crew, um, you know, in, including the engineers and stuff like that in comparison to someone like uh, Penske and Ganassi were at the 24 hour races at the long stuff. They had three crews that they'd cycle through guys would go sleep in the middle of the night. We're working on the car We're I was the outside tire changer. Also, it was uh, anyways, it was an awesome experience at a young age. And, you know, I kind of got to the point where you spend a lot of time on the road and, um, and, you know, even through the karting stuff, I, I had kind of done the same thing. And, you know, I think I was 24 at the time or so 23, 24. And I kind of, said, you know what, like, I think I, uh, I've kind of got to a point here that, you know, even 10 years from now, I can't elevate myself too much. You know what I mean? Um, I kind of wanted, I figured I was kind of at the age where I could start something new, take all the experience that I was fortunate to get and, um, and do something different. And, and again, still be young enough to, to be ahead of, ahead of the ball. Right. And, you know, as much as I said, I, you know, kind of started my race career in go-karts on four wheels. You know, I was really fortunate. I grew up a little bit in the country and, you know, had some property and, you know, the 
my, I've got two older brothers. We all rode dirt bikes and mini bikes. So definitely started on two wheels and snowmobiles up here is a big thing too. Um, you know, so then after the, all the car racing stuff to go back to two wheels and, uh, you know, kind of put a lot of the, uh, engineering, um, and fabrication stuff I learned on that prototype program into what I've been doing for almost 10 years now. Um, I started one speed in, uh, uh, it'll be 10 years this October. And that kind of coincided with diving headfirst into the, the road racing, you know, with the motorcycle stuff too. So, um, you know, I'm really fortunate that as much as they're a bit of a separate entity business wise that, you know, racing professionally with Suzuki Canada and our Canadian national series, you know, is, is my passion, it's my love, but it's, you know, totally coincides with what I do on a, on a day to day with, uh, you know, building custom bikes and it's a lot of fun. And you, yes, <clears throat> sorry. So what, what in, in the last, I don't know, year, year and a half, what are some of the most involved motorcycle custom builds that you've done? I know you've done a couple different Harleys that yeah. were, got pretty, pretty involved. Yeah. Like, um, you know, so when I first started my shop, I did kind of everything from the guy who wants the oil change, walking in the door to the complete build. And, uh, you know, welding and the machining and the fabrication aspect is, is what I enjoy most. So the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot more fabricating because I kind of chose to, um, not that I was, you know, did everything and, uh, and wasn't good at some things or was mediocre at everything. Again, I kind of made a, a choice to focus just now more on fabrication and bike building, um, you know, cause it's what I love to do. Right. And I can put all my energy into that, but again, you know, I used to kind of do everything. So whether it was sport bikes, Harleys, cafe racers, um, you know, the way I've looked at it is, uh, uh, you know, they all have two wheels. They all have their, their different things, the way they're built, uh, their little, you know, things service wise, the little things you do when you're doing customization to them. But, um, you know, again, the, you know, what the, the end function is the same, right? So it doesn't matter if it's a Harley or, or whatever. Um, that's kind of all different stuff I do. So, I'd say the most in-depth build I did was probably this past winter. It was, uh, I believe, a 2005 BMW um, R1200S. So that's uh, a bit of a unique bike. It's a bit of a touring bike, um, plastic gas tank, plastic fairings. Um, and then it has the uh, definitely a really unique front suspension setup that it almost has, you know, similar to a car, like a double wishbone um, front suspension setup with a shock. Just what would be ahead of the stuff, like a steering stem and a conventional frame setup. And then it also had a set of forks in front of that. Um, so as much as that was, you know, kind of really unique and I'm sure BMW engineered it to make the bike more comfortable for touring or whatnot to take that bike and then strip all the plastic stuff off and try and do something cool with it was really difficult because you're totally limited in, you know, the wheelbase, you know, you've got this uh, bunch of stuff kind of in front of the rider position and, you know, what, where the tank would conventionally be, um, you know, kind of limiting you. And then also um, in, in terms of changing ride height and, you know, rake on the bike and, and trying to get the lines, how you want it, you're limited too. So it was really in depth because pretty much took all that stuff off all the original kind of um, you know, it's essentially a trellis frame. There's a frame section in the back for the tail. And then there's a frame section in the front for the suspension setup. Um, so took it all off um mocked up a conventional uh inverted front fork setup that was you know off a suzuki gsx 750 something like that and kind of started from there machined uh, the steering stem or the neck from scratch and everything 
and then uh, all the pickup points in the motor and then, you know, started bending and notching all the tubing and essentially built a whole new frame section to in the front to use a conventional front end setup. So, you know, just that in itself, um, just making the stuff from scratch, you know, one off kind of stuff, right? You're not, you haven't done it before. You don't have any measurements to go off. You're, you're kind of doing stuff in, in up in air, right? Yep. Um, you know, so that was a ton of work. And then even to complete that one part to weld it, you know, you obviously can't weld it on it and it's going to, you know, want to move around. So building a fixture to hold it all in place while it's all welded on the bench and stuff. Um, you know, that's, uh, it was a pretty big project. That's just one part of it. Um, you know, utilizing the original BMW front wheel with the BMW front rotors in the Suzuki front end was, you know, custom axle, custom wheel spacers, custom caliper spacers, um, you know, offsetting the, the rotors to be center, you know, um, you know, the list can go on, but in the end, it, uh, it turned out to be a really, really cool bike. And, you know, one mistake I, I've made and, and I've been better with it more lately is that I used to never take pictures of how a bike came in. And, you know, for a bunch of years up here, we've got uh, a few winter kind of motorcycle trade shows in the Toronto area, which, uh, you know, are pretty big. You know, they they claim over the three days for the big one, they get over 100,000 people coming through it. And they always have, you know, guys from Counts Customs or, you know, big, big name TV guys from down south that, uh, you know, come up and make the show a little bit bigger and stuff. And, you know, as much as uh, those shows are a lot of work, it's really uh, rewarding because, Typically, um, you know, you do all this work. You've been looking at a bike for for six months. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they're a couple month project, whatever it might be. The customer takes it. Um, you know, it's obviously really uh, gratifying when the customer is happy with it. That's who you want to be happy with it, right? But um, you know, to to have bikes on display and just see the general public and you know people come by and just kind of stand back and and watch them point out to their friends like, oh, you know, look at this and look at that. Or, oh, that's so cool. You know, those shows they're really gratifying in that sense, but it's, you know, you always want to kind of go over and be like, Oh, well, if you knew how this bike started, you know, <laughs> right. what it originally was and stuff like that. Um, you know, cause some of, like I said, this, this particular BMW, a lot of the Harleys, there's a Moto Guzzi I did the other uh, yeah, two yeah. winters ago. Yep. Um, again, where they started, what they were um, not, not necessarily like how they originally came say from Moto Guzzi from the factory or whatever, but maybe the way it, it comes to you, whether they're barn finds or, or whatever. Um, a lot of the older stuff, it's, you know, now that's become more popular, you know, cafe racers and builds like that. It's few and far between. You have something come in that is, is stock and untouched. Right. So yep. sometimes that's a good thing. Most of the time it's, it's not, you know, <laughs> it, it means it's more work kind of going through and figuring You're out. You're undoing like, somebody else's bad decisions. Yeah. Or trying to figure out why something was done or whatever it might've been. Right. But, um, but yeah, so, so like I said, that's something taking before pictures and, and again, to go back and um, look at how this bike started again with all the plastics and stuff. Like most people would never, never know that it's, it's the same bike in the end, which, these... uh, which like I said, for, for me as a fabricator, that's, that's really cool because uh, you know, again, the flip scenario where it's like, they just think that's how, that's how it, it came kind of thing, you know, that in itself, you know, says something about your work, but um but again, you know, I like to see it, right? So, are these customers' bikes, or are these things that you just find and you have a vision for them and just sort of execute that vision? Yeah, primarily customers' bikes. Um, okay. When I started, uh, I actually I think one of the coolest bikes I built that I think went on, you know, Piper a long time ago, and I, you know, 
still occasionally get messages about it because I, I see pictures come come up on Instagram, I'm tagging. Um, it was a 1978 XS1100. And, you know, I bought it. It had a Yoshimura pipe on it. Um, you know, I moved the rear shock pickup points, put longer shocks, got a bit bit of rake in it. I think I put, uh, you know, gear oil in the front forks because I had some braided lines on Goodmaster. And, you know, every time you touch the brakes, things just wanted to go through. Anyways, just kind of made it a bit more of a, a rider. And again, you know, with my racing background and stuff, you know, just kind of some little tweaks like that. And then, uh, you know, that winter, I decided, you know, I'm going to change it all up and did a, did a, a rocker rear um, suspension setup that the shocks actually rotated down under the carb mounting. So had to build a whole custom different frame on it. And I actually had a turbo uh, on it when I rode it. And then I had someone interested in the bike and it was actually a, a motorcycle clothing manufacturer and they wanted it for some of their, their ads and stuff like that. And uh, you know, they were kind of like, well, the turbo or, you know, it's really cool, but we want something mildly more conventional. So people are looking at the, at our jacket or our shirt and not like the bike, but we want something cool too. So, you know, I built almost an equal length header, but built it kind of, uh, again, this is probably more a car thing, but, um, a bit of a sidewinder setup that, you know, if the turbo was mounted kind of to the side, not like a, you know, a log manifold where you kind of have a tube that the turbo's on and all four mm -hmm. cylinders just kind of dump into one chamber going, going into the turbo. So everything, it was really unique how the pipes like came over and around each other. And, uh, and then the muffler actually kind of came out the side by the, by the stator cover. And I used a muffler that had like a tapered end on it. So it was all flush on the side. And, and then in the end, you know, cause it was all pie cuts. And I, I actually think it took me about four days to build this one header. And in the end, it was probably way more of an attention grabber visually than uh than the turbo would have been yeah. but but in the end you know that that was really cool so like i said that bike i built originally built for myself and then had someone like oh that's really cool like you know can we buy it and you know as things kind of took off with the shop and like i said because i you know kind of did everything not just bike building in the beginning unfortunately it was kind of didn't have the time and then between my race program it's like if i had time to work on something for myself i was you know working on my race bike and um, the first bike I started racing was a Ducati 749, which awesome bike. You know, I, uh, bought it on a bit of a, a bit of a whim. You know, I never had a, I didn't get my street riding license until I think I was 23. And, um, you know, I think it was 2008, 2009, like bit of a recession. And I had some friends up here who were going down to auctions in Michigan and New York state and, you know, buying snowmobiles or bikes that, you know, had 500 miles on it and people couldn't make the payment and they were getting it for pennies on the, on the dollar. And, uh, you know, they, I was up at their place one time and at their shop and like, Oh, you got to see what we, what we picked up this time. And they opened the door and there's you know, brand new Harley there, brand new CBR 600 double R like, Oh no, those are shit. Keep going, keep going. And there's this Ducati 749R and they started up, rev it up a few times. I walk out, call my dad, you think I can get, you know, motorcycle insurance on, on our, your shop plan or whatever, or your business plan. Yeah. Yeah. Go back, bought it. And, uh, you know, so it was amazing bikes ride in the street. Um, and for a first bike, you know, I probably spoiled myself a, a little bit, you could say, but, uh, as your first race bike, maybe not because, um, you know, I don't think it's uh, new knowledge to anybody that Ducatis are a little bit more expensive. And then being an R model, being one of 500, 
um, trying to get anything for that was a little bit more expensive and really difficult. And, you know, midsummer here, Ducati does their shutdown. And anyways, it was uh, a bit of an uphill battle in, in that sense. But, um, you know, like I said, any kind of free time that I, I had when I started the shop kind of went into racing. It, it kind of still does, to be honest. And, uh, you know, there's been a couple more. There's um, an 81 uh, KZ uh, 1100, which was actually a shaft drive bike. And I put a uh, CBR 1000 rear swing arm and, and put got the case side from a, uh, an earlier one that was a chain drive bike and changed it all over and built the offset sprocket. And same thing, did a GSXR inverted front fork suspension on that did some cool stuff that I was starting to build for myself and partway through the build, same thing. Someone walked in, someone saw it on Instagram or Facebook and was like, Oh, you know, how about that bike? And, you know, so things have kind of just transitioned that people uh, in the circumstance, people kind of have seen stuff I've done um, and, you know, have a bike of their own or have some ideas. And then, you know, we can kind of, kind of collaborate from the ground up and, um, you know, a picture says a thousand words and, and there's, you know, with so much stuff you can look at online, um, you know, people kind of, it, it might be a Harley they're showing me a picture of and they've got a Honda shadow and, and some of the stuff doesn't flip, you know, you can't put mm-hmm. that on that or a four cylinder bike and whatever it might be. Right. So, um, you know, I kind of work hand in hand with the customer, take ideas that they want and, and make those a reality on, on what they have to work with. So. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's something, something different every day. Uh, you know, obviously some projects are, are longer and in depth. So you're working uh, on them a bunch, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely not repetitive and it definitely doesn't get boring. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of, of the fabrication, I wanted to ask you, um, like when you're machining, say like a steering stem or a head tube, are you doing that with a CNC machine, like a CNC lathe, or are you just doing it on a manual lathe? Just doing, just doing a manual. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I was fortunate uh, that I worked for a company and we had uh, a CNC mill and we were making, you know, custom car wheels and um, stuff like that. And at the time I just was taught how to, how to set the turret. Um, it was a pretty large machine and run the whole thing. And I, actually this is a bit of a funny story. I think it was the first week I, I worked there and this was kind of in between the racing and, and starting my shop Um and uh, anyways, you know, everyone's at lunch kind of thing on the Friday. And uh, I didn't realize that uh, the coolant in the machine, and this is like a, an enclosure with sprayers, that the coolant was oil-based. And and they were, like I said, they're car wheels. So there's uh, the inside hub and then there are three pieces. So essentially they were shell and it all bolts together. Mm-hmm. And in the tapping program, like it was drilling and tapping, you know, 40 holes within the program and the tap had broken off so i had to go in there and broke off about an inch down into a you know five sixteenths hole so to you know get down in there with the tig and it was you know weld it weld a nut to it get it out a quarter turn snaps off you know it's a bit tedious but like i said so i'm there in and i can just see the reflection off the back of the the tig mask it get bright and it arced <laughs> and lit the coolant on fire in oh, this really? enclosure. Is the, the CNC enclosure is probably about the same size as Pete's garage from what he was saying. <laughs> and so that was, like I said, everyone's at lunch, you know, 10,000 square foot building, and this huge thing is on fire. And, you know, the unit itself is 150 grand. So that was a bit of a panic. 
trying to figure out where the hose was and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I was fortunate that uh, I ended up getting sent to school one day a week um, by a place to do to learn CNC programming and uh, and was able to do a little bit, um, uh, you know, build some of my own parts, you know, after hours or whatever on their stuff. But yeah, my shop, I just have, you know, my mill, my lathe, it's all, it's all hand on. So, you know, sometimes it, yeah, it gets tedious. You're cutting a, a thou at a time, those, those final cuts and trying to get it exactly perfect. Right. You know, where CNC press the button and go and go do something right. else. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's like, um, you know, I guess it's an old, older art, like, you know, it's no different than, um, using an English wheel. That's, you know, a lot of that stuff is, uh, is foreign, even, even, you know, welding, you know what I mean? A lot of like these trades now that you can go on Amazon and just find anything, you know, people don't do it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's maybe appreciated to a certain extent. So on the flip side, it's like when I'm, you know, welding something or, you know, it's titanium or whatever, people love the weld porn stuff, but a lot of that is machine too. Right. And it's, you know, so when, when you can do it, then, you know, you give it back to the customer and they're, they're just loving it. That's like I said, that's really gratifying too. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing is sexier than a titanium exhaust that's been beautifully TIG welded and then like heat cycled a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually got really fortunate. Uh, uh, I think it's probably winter 2017 that uh, a friend of mine who I actually knew from a Motorsport bought uh, a Lamborghini Countach. And, uh, and this is going to sound kind of crazy, but he had one in high school, crashed it, wrote it off, always wanted to get another one, found one that was immaculate and, uh, called me up and wanted to do, uh, an exhaust setup and essentially said, well, Hey, the one that I want is X amount. Do you think you could come do this and, you know, be reasonable price to similar thing? Right. I said, you want me to come build a headers and exhaust and a Lamborghini Countach? the price doesn't really matter. Like, that's just cool. Right. Like I, 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 so many of us had a Lamborghini Countach poster. I know I did on the wall as a kid in my room and, and the model and stuff like that. So anyways, that was really cool. All titanium system and stuff like that. And, um, you know, doing it on a turntable and then like the tips, for example, the mufflers came out on one angle and then I did pie cuts to get it back. So it was kind of flush with the bumper and then, yeah, heating all that stuff and getting the cool blues and purples into the tie. It was a really cool, really cool project. Yeah. That would like be it. so cool. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. Probably sounded wicked, too, when you were oh, done. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It actually, um, you know, you think supercar, you think that the thing's, you know, going to sound like a Formula One car, just all zingy. That, you know, being, uh, it's pretty large displacement yep. for for a, you know, it's a V12, so the pistons aren't all that big, but it definitely had a much like deeper sound than I was expecting because I honestly don't think I heard the car run before I had started working on it. Like, I think the first thing I did was tear the system off and, and, and then go out building the new one kind of thing. So, um, again, uh, didn't, didn't take the before and after picture, but, uh, my, uh, my next door neighbor is a semi-retired, um, Italian car mechanic. So like, there's some interesting stuff that shows up next door that old customers still bring to him to to work on, and one of them is a is a Murcielago with I don't know what exhaust on it, but yeah, I think everyone in about a four block radius knows when he fires it up and is working on it. That's the kind of noise you can't even be mad about it if you hear no, it. No, 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 no. Ten no. p.m. 
No. If it wakes you up, you should feel blessed for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm lo- I'm looking. Where where did I leave my phones? I can go shoot yeah. some video, right? Yeah. 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 Well, the other year I actually built uh, uh, another car exhaust on there's a uh, Porsche GT4 Cayman, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, and it's got you know the button where you can open the baffles so it's restricted or not restricted. Mm-hmm. But again, all of that came off, and uh, you know, so built kind of a almost a straight through pipe that we still integrated the valves on it, which they're, uh, you know, a lot of them you see are, are electric. These ones are actually vacuum actuated. Okay. Um, and then, you know, so it had, it would go straight through and then it went to like an X pipe with a crossover and split back to two for the tips. And then you had the, you know, the normal uh, suburb startup going through the larger mufflers. And I think it was about a week later, you know, the customer calling back, he's like, I'm never using that button it's on race all the time. Like yeah. it's earth, you know what I mean? It, it's yeah. like, we, we can come back and just block those other sections off. It sounds too cool. So if you would have said it was a nine eleven, I said, Oh, so you built doc Walker, uh, an exhaust, but it was a Cayman. Yeah. So, you know, well, it was actually, um, uh, Kenny Reedman who, you yeah. know, for years straight, it was uh, yeah. his father's car. So it was, Oh yeah. Yeah. Rolling. Rolling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's pretty neat. Sorry, <laughs> name we're we're name dropping each other because we know these people and everyone's going like, who are these people? I don't know. Yeah, Canadians. Can, Canadian motorcycle racing. Yeah. Well, well, you guys are all talking about the temperature. I'm sitting here trying to like do the conversion. You know, Bob and Doug McKenzie <laughs> yeah, yeah. way. It's double it at thirty. I'm like, oh, that is hot. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you. You you. This is your job. This is what you do. You've got customers coming in and you have to give them what they want, but you're also obviously very passionate about this. You do some things for yourself or at least on spec that is what you want. Uh, Do you ever feel like doing this turns something you enjoy as a hobby into a chore because you've got to do it on a deadline the way other people want it or do you still get jazzed when you go in, regardless of whether it's your work or a customer's work, that you're you're excited just to be doing this kind of fabrication? Well, yeah, I think that that's like the more the latter because you know that's the beauty of of doing something custom is that you know they're not it's not about you know I'm not the one who owns the bike I'm not the one riding it my opinion isn't necessarily uh, or how I would do it on that particular bike isn't really what's important it's you know you're building something to that person's vision that person's dream and you're you know fulfilling that for them which which makes it exciting i can also say like on the flip side it's not a you know there's never a time where you're like oh i got to do this it's more that there's almost a pressure that um you know you're you're meeting their expectations in terms of you know taking that what you've talked about and like i said you know it's it's always great to have access to pictures and you know you can visually see what they want because the reality is it's a lot of people they may have ridden bikes all their lives on the technical and mechanical side don't really have that much knowledge so um you know to be able to take like i said that image and converted into what they want regardless of like i said if, if it was i would what i would personally do or not it's still uh something I, I enjoy doing that in itself is you know almost makes it more more of a challenge per se but on the flip side like i said there's a bit of a pressure because you know it's been uh you know probably 
not too frequent, but you know, there has been times where customers like, well, this looks awesome, but you know, maybe I, I don't want the headlight like this. Maybe I want something more like this and and you got to do it again. And, you know, personally it's redoing things is probably one of my biggest pet peeves, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's not my bike. It's what they want. So, you know, creating that, uh, that vision and, and stuff, fulfilling that for the customer is in itself, you know, a, a, like I said, a challenge and something fun. So do, do you, have you ever had somebody come to you and said, I want you to do X, Y, Z. And either you said, no, I'm not going to do that. It's either stupid or not safe or just inside your soul died a little bit, having to do something that you were like, I would never do this to a motorcycle. Well, you know, you actually touched on a, a big key there. Safety is, uh, is paramount. And that's, you know, not that again, having a car background, having doors and, and four wheels, you, you can't, uh, it's not like you have any more lenience to, you know, misdesign something that can fail or leave something loose, whatever it is as, as a mechanic, you know, a bike, you have none of that. Um, you know, you need to think, you know, how I might build something for my race bike might be a little, um, looser than how, or a little, not necessarily less built, uh, but you might overbuild something more on, on a street bike because you don't know what, uh, you know, circumstances it's going to go through. So you always need to kind of, um, overbuild it. And that, and again, like going back to what I started in my fabrication, it's endurance racing, 24 hour races. Like I think the prototype car is doing 220 something miles an hour in a turn one at Daytona for 24 hours and it couldn't go 24 hours in one minute. It had to be able to bounce off other, you know, so you were always designing um, and building stuff to, uh, to uh, surpass, you know, it's life, you know, uh, how it's going to live in its life. So it's kind of the same thing when you're building something for a customer, like I said, safety is probably more paramount than, um, than, you know, the visual aspect or whatnot. But, you know, kind of, I guess, more to your point, you know, my biggest thing, again, maybe it's going back to the racing is it doesn't need to look good as long as it does its job. So there's definitely times where it's like, you know, a customer wants, you know, a specific look, but maybe that takes away from the bike ride. You know, uh, quite honestly, I built bikes for people that uh, I know have never left their living room, um, have never left their garage. It's they, they didn't build build it or have me build it to ride it per se. Um, but I always kind of go back, you know, or try to incorporate that into the design of the work that, you know, if you can't go ride your motorcycle any day of the week and, uh, and it functioned properly and stopped properly and whatever it might be, um, then yeah, those are probably more things that I would shy away from doing. You know, I might be busy that week, but, uh, whatever it might be, but but in the end, like I said, it's uh, that's the beauty of doing things custom, right? It's everybody, everybody's vision is a little bit different. So you're never doing the same thing twice. So, um, and that's actually like, you know, Eric touched on that. I've done a lot of Harley stuff too for, for, I don't know, a bunch of years. And, and still now I do a lot of V rods, which are, uh, you know, a Harley, but have a bit of a performance aspect. And, you know, you can upgrade the brakes and upgrade the suspension and do stuff that, you know, visually makes the bike more appealing and more customized, but at the same time, you're improving 
all of its, uh, you know, physical attributes, like how it's going to ride and act as a motorcycle. So, you know, I definitely, you know, not to say I don't enjoy stuff that's just visually based, but the stuff that, um, you know, kind of improves all aspects of, of the bike, no matter how you look at it, those are definitely, you know, projects I probably enjoy a little bit more or, um, you know, like doing a little bit more. Cause like I said, it kind of touches all aspects. Cause there's a lot of guys that are involved in racing and, and are very focused on the functional and any modification that doesn't improve the performance. They're either, you know, they have, they have some contempt for it, or at least they kind of poo poo it of, well, you know, that's the, and on the other hand, there's a lot of people that will use the excuse of it's not a race bike to do really counterproductive things to a bike. I mean, I mean, and that's, that's nothing new. You can go back and look at some of the some of the choppers of the early 70s. I was just thinking about, well, Orange County choppers and their theme bikes. <laughs> yeah, or, and, and quite honestly, it's not even a two-wheeled thing because I grew up going to the Autorama and looking at the stupidly impractical novelty hot rods of the 70s that were, mm-hmm. you know, one of them was a pool table, yeah. uh, you know, or, you know, some of the, the really, they were obviously may not have even run, but they were certainly never intended to be driven. Yeah. And even as a kid, I was kind of like, well, if you really can't take it out and have fun driving or riding it, it's what's the point on the other hand, there's all kinds of things that I've seen people do. Uh, there's a guy I'm following on, uh, uh, do the ton.com that's building a, a KZ 750 twin race bike, which they were dogs new. There's no speed parts for them. He's putting all this effort into it. And at some point it's he, no matter how good he makes this, it's not going to be objectively any better than, you know, if we went out and bought a, a cripple triple and took it out and raced it, you know, it's, it's, but it's still really cool because of all of the mechanical side of it. So I can appreciate both sides of that equation of, yeah, if you do something for the looks or aesthetics or the, the show value, but it ruins your motorcycle, that's not cool. But on the other hand, there is a certain amount of, well, that's just a neat idea. And I want to see if it works. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Well, it, it's all perspective, right? Everyone's got a, like I said, everyone's got a different perspective. Everyone has a different vision of, of what they want. Um, you know, again, you know, race bikes, it's, you know, when they're brand new or when they're freshly painted, they look gorgeous, but, the life they're going to live, you know, isn't like that for that long. And, you know, you, this is probably hard for, you know, someone who's got a custom bike that's, uh, you know, they've put so much effort into and, and whatnot, but it's like, you need to let go to a certain extent and know it's, it's going to go for a slide every once in a while. And that's again, the nature of, of riding at that level and, and pushing the limits. But 
so when I'm when I'm building something for this, for example, you know, the the functionality of like how's it how's it gonna live its life? How's it gonna, you know, potentially crash? You know, you need to factor in those things where again, you know, a lot of custom stuff, it's it's not gonna have have that life. It's not gonna have to crash and how's it gonna come back when you pick it back up? Can you continue the race or whatever? It's purely um, you know, looked at from a different capacity, right? So Again, back to your point, it's, I wouldn't say I'm set on either side of it. Like I, I have, you know, what, how I do my personal stuff, but um, that I don't necessarily am objective towards, uh, you know, how a customer comes to me and wants something. I might, you know, give them advice from experience, either of building it or of riding something similar that, you know, like you said, maybe that that bike isn't the best one to start with or whatever it might be, but there's realities that, you know, um, nothing hand built, nothing one off is quick. And therefore there's a, a price to it too. Right. So, you know, sometimes you're working within a budget, sometimes you're working within a uh, customer's vision, but you know, when I say working within, you know, that sounds like a negative thing, but it, it's kind of not, there's it's reality. Right. So, um, you know, again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying. It's just every, everything's a little bit different. Like, you know, some guys, like I said, I did a bunch of V-Rods for a bunch of years. Some guys are known for that. Some guys are known for building CB750s. Um, I think very rarely have I had um, two of the same bike or, you know, the same bike back-to-back builds of the same bike kind of thing. You know, I think maybe Viragos are really popular or become popular to do. Um, you know, I, I think I had, that's probably the only one I can think of that I had two Viragos, you know, month to month that I was doing something like that. Right. So, um, you know, so it's, it's always been different than that. So, and even that, like, you know, I talked about this, uh, this BMW that I did this past winter, I actually have another one, a slightly older one, which is, uh, um, the 1100 S, uh, and, you know, I'm doing the same thing, getting rid of the tail lever front ends, you know, building, doing a different tank, you know, putting a more conventional style tank and, and, and whatnot. But even though it's, um, a very similar bike, it's, it's actually not the same. Like the jig I built, like I mentioned to weld the, the one, you know, front frame section of the 1200 isn't the same. The pickup points in the motor aren't the same. So, you know, that is probably the closest as, like I said, as much as they're different, you know, they're going to be similar that you're, um, in terms of the vision kind of thing. But, uh, but again, that's, you know, some, some people like BMWs, some people like four cylinders, some people like race bikes, some people like choppers. Right. So it's, you know, it's all about, uh, um, like I said, trying to connect, you know, someone's vision because it's their bike. Right. So, um, yeah. Is, is there a style or a, or a genre that you prefer best, like from, you know, clip-ons and rear sets or, you know, forward controls and, you know, going so like, you know, cafe racers versus modern sport versus, you know, Harley. Is there a different style that you prefer to build more than others? I like the cafe stuff, but like with a, with a bit of an edge, um, you know, probably go with like a, you know, suspension or, or like, again, like the, if you look at kind of the angle, the tank and the rake of the bike, something that's a little bit more aggressive in the rear, how most race bikes are. Right. Um, you know, clip-ons are, are great. Are they super comfortable are you going to do um you know a really long ride 
Uh, are you going to go to the, you know, the center of the continent and back on, on one? You might, but you probably won't want to get back on that bike for a, a month afterwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, you know, if I were to be building a bike purely to like, like I mentioned, go to one of these shows and, and have it as, uh, uh, visually appealing it yes it might be different than if i were building it for someone who's gonna that i know is gonna kind of ride it every day right um but in terms of my style again i like you know i like the the oil cooler behind the front forks and the braided lines coming over the top and you know the flat slide carves with stacks and not pod filters and and like i said a bit of a bit of a, a race touch um you know i i definitely like that air cooled um you know, four cylinders, probably more than like an inline twin or something like that. Again, on a personal level, um, you know, it, it's like I said, if, if you just kind of think back of some of the stuff that I was doing for myself, um, you know, they're, they're inline four cylinders, late seventies, early eighties. So I definitely kind of like that era. Um, you know, they started to go away from that a little bit, some newer stuff, but actually another bike I did this, this winter was a 72, uh, H2, but we did um, a ZRX front end on it, ZRX rear swing arm and, and rear shock. And then I built, you know, rolled all the pipes, they're all hand-built pipes. And, you know, so that, uh, again, really old school, you know, air-cooled. You see all the, the pipes, really basic in terms of you don't have a bunch of electronics. It's, it was actually, we didn't even have the uh, original oil injection pump in the tank on it. The customer wanted a premix. He wanted, mm-hmm. you know... I don't know if he was going to carry uh, some oil with him on all the rides, but like he, he kind of wanted like, obviously not heritage specific because they would have had the oil tank and whatnot, but, but kind of um, again, that edgy gritty, like kind of race feel too. And, you know, if, you know, with that, you've got uh, that vintage heritage, but then can, you know, kind of go into a turn on a twisty road and, you know, know you've got better suspension, better brakes. And we had braced all the, the steering head in the frame and, you know, x the back of it and stuff like that so so it, it wasn't going to live up to its widowmaker name there so mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah like you know definitely kind of stuff like that kind of integrates um function and performance you know and, and has that visual aspect too yeah yeah it, it's very few and far between you can kind of like tick all the boxes that it's going to work right it's going to look cool you're going to be able to ride it hard you're going to be able to ride it every day um it's really hard to kind of do that but you know, again, some people only want one of the four boxes. That's all they care about. Some people want all of them. Well, you know, probably the most rewarding when I can, you know, take their vision and, and take as many of them as I can. There's a, a joke that, you know, a manufacturer hired a bunch of uh, engineers to perfect the motorcycle. And after months of research and testing, they handed back a sheet of paper with three words written in the middle of it. It just said, add more wheels, you know, that it, uh, Bruce Finlayson said, uh, motorcycles are a failed experiment in transportation that hasn't been abandoned. So, you know, at some point, if you want to look at function, if you're looking at a motorcycle, there's a certain either, you know, ephemeral quality or experiential quality or visual quality to it or romance to it that 
if you're on a motorcycle, there's more to it than just getting from point A to point B anyways. So, you know, that whole idea of when you, it's the kind of thing you get excited thinking about when you're not on it. And as soon as you park it, you turn around and you look at it as you walk away from it. You know, that that's all part of the motorcycle experience. I don't think you could ever get away from it and say you're going to be uh, just 100% uh, focused on on perfecting the performance of it without wanting at least some of that. Oh, that's just emotionally, you know, on, on a on a gut level. Cool. A hundred percent. And that's actually, you know, when I first got that first motorcycle on the road, um, you know, I used to have to commute traffic every day to to the race team and stuff like that. And there's there's always a bit of a drag. And when I first got my license and, and got that bike, you know, it was it was pretty, pretty cold some mornings and you're kind of at every light trying to stuff your fingers in front of the exhaust <laughs> to warm up and, and stuff like that. Like in some in some ways it was horrible, but it totally changed my commute. It wasn't like, Oh, I got to go sit traffic. It was like, Oh, I get to go ride my motorcycle. I get to, right. I get, I get to go there. And I, and then it, it got me exploring, you know, different routes and trying to find different roads. And, you know, it, it totally, like I said, literally, like you mentioned there, it's, it's the experience. So, you know, I think, um, you know, as much as the race motorcycle is what, you know, I, I love to do. I also, you know, like to ride a, a bagger that you get the stereo and can, can wear an open face helmet and, and, you know, have someone on the back that you're pointing out people you see picking their nose in their car or whatever it is. It's just, it's a whole different deal. Right. And that's, um, you know, motorcycle, no matter what car you have, you know, doesn't matter if it's a, a super nice car or not, it's just not going to be the, the same experience. So um, that, I think no. that's what draws so many people to it. I know uh, you got to get going here soon because, um, and we'll talk talk a little bit about this here to, to wrap things up. Uh, the Canadian Superbike season starts uh, this weekend, and you're headed off to Calabogie in the morning to uh, for round one. Yeah, yeah, I uh, headed up uh, early tomorrow morning to get set up. Um, we got uh, testing on Friday, and then a uh, um, bit of a compressed schedule in comparison to some of the events, um, you know, our previous years that. You know, Mossport or Canadian Tire Motorsports Park that uh, you're always at. Or typically, that's a doubleheader race. And, you know, we're on testing Thursday, qualify Friday, do a race Saturday and a race Sunday. Um, you know, now kind of the new standard or what we're doing this year for our events is uh, we get practice Saturday morning, qualifying Saturday afternoon. And then actually both our Superbike features are Sunday afternoon. So I believe this Sunday, we've got a race at one and a race at three 30. So uh, a little bit more compressed, a little bit, you know, not pressure per se, but, you know, you show up and uh, kind of run what you bring. You got to be prepared. And, uh, you know, it definitely brings in a, a different a- or another aspect, not that racing the bike at that level is if there's one race a day, it's still super physical, but having one, two hours later as another element, which, um, you know, is, is something been, training really hard for, uh, you know, all, all off season, all winter and, um, definitely looking forward to it. And they just announced, uh, I think end of last week that things up here have started to open up a little bit. Um, and, uh, as of now they're allowing 25% fans. So or 25% capacity. So that's, it's really exciting. Um, cause last year we didn't race in front of anyone, even 
I went down and uh, I did the Indianapolis round of the Motor America series and nobody in the stands. And uh, obviously Indianapolis, the grandstands are huge and, and kind of nobody there. Very, very few people, right? So it's really exciting, um, you know, to be able to bring it back and, and interact with people at the track. And, you know, I'm not sure if, uh, Eric, if you're come, planning on coming out to Mossport or uh, sorry, Canadian Time or Sports Park in August, but 25% fans at a, a venue like that is still, uh, still a lot of people. 15,000 people. So, yeah. um, you know, that's a good super bike, uh, weekend on any year. So, yeah, well, as, as you drive by Ottawa, um, and you can have a, a conversation with Justin and have him open the border. Yes. <laughs> I would love to come up and do it. And, and tentatively provided that I can, I'm, I'm fully vaxxed. So that's not the problem. It's just letting me into the country is, is the problem at this point. But yeah, I've talked with, with Pat and, um, yeah, tentatively we're set to do, um, to do CTMP again. So I'm excited yeah. for that. Well, that, that's awesome. Like, you know, and last year, like I said, I did that one, uh, Indianapolis event in September and, you know, I was really fortunate with the limited amount of racing we had up here due to the restrictions and, and some stuff like that, some challenges with the series, um, uh, being able to host events. I was really fortunate that I, um, was, uh, invited to be part of, uh, the Suzuki, uh, us, uh, supported team, uh, team M4, um, or team hammer M4 Suzuki last year as, uh, part of Tony Elias, um, X moto two champion, X moto GP race winner, uh, be part of his program. So that was an awesome experience, but, um, yeah, I can definitely vouch for the, uh, challenges, uh, you know, going to the airport, getting on a plane and going through customs definitely was, uh, you know, a little bit more of an undertaking than, uh, than previous years, but it's, it's nice to see things are starting to move the right direction again. So. Yeah. Yep. Fingers crossed. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Hey, um, Trevor, thanks for, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, appreciate you taking the time and, uh, it's been a, been a cool conversation and just get an idea of, uh, you know, what you're doing and people want to check out more of what you do. How do they do that? Yeah. Uh, well, kind of like mentioned before, I'm, on Instagram a fair amount, like obviously, you know, you got your daily story or whatnot. So, you know, if, as I'm making one specific part, um, you know, I get a lot of uh, positive feedback of kind of showing that process from, you know, the base metal part, putting in the lathe, you know, putting in the mill after welding it together, whatever it might be, and then putting it on the bike, you know, so people can kind of see the big picture. They don't just see the, the end you know, that's that part and they don't know how uh, it was made. Right. And, um, a- anyway, so my Instagram is, is what I'm primarily on. I, uh, do have, it's connected to Facebook as well, but my Instagram page is one speed Inc. So it's uh, O N E speed I N C. And, uh, you know, I welcome, uh, you know, everybody to check that out. And like I said, it's a, it's a mix of, you know, my race program stuff and, and stuff I'm, I'm building, you know, you can kind of go back, uh, through there, see some of the, like that BMW build I talked about like that, it's pretty documented on there um, in the sense, you know, I do kind of have the before and after pictures and the pictures of building the front end, building the tail section, uh, welding the exhaust, you know, that's got titanium pie cuts in it and, and stuff. So, you know, I encourage uh, and welcome people to check that out. Like I said, one speed ink and uh, you know, and again, I, I love the feedback. I love getting messages where, you know, people eat, saying this is cool. You know, I didn't know how you do that or, or also, you know, I occasionally, get people like, Oh, why did you do this? And I'm building this bike. And what would you recommend with this? Like, uh, you know, that again, no matter what, that's, uh, it's always awesome to kind of interact with, with people in that sense. It uh, really takes a home. So 
Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us. Yeah, awesome. I, yeah, Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Appreciate and, uh, you guys having me on. It was fun. Good luck this weekend, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in uh, about month to six weeks up there. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Cool. Thanks. Okay.